The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. If you'll turn in your scriptures, please, to Exodus chapter 18. And this will be our text for tonight. Exodus 18. You can see from the bulletin, the sermon title based off this text is Moses the Mediator Needs Help. So keep everything Elder Kirby said in his application about Ahab and Jehoshaphat, everything we've sung about in Christ alone, and import that now into this reading as we think of these matters. Exodus 18, this is the word of God. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other Eliezer, For he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians." Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this fair they dealt arrogantly, affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, father-in-law, before God. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, "What What you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. 
I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did what he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but in a small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Merciful God, we do plead with you now that you would speak unto us, that we might have the hearing of faith, to receive from your good hand both physical and material instruction and direction unto the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Give me words, give me a voice, and give us all ears to hear what your Spirit has to say. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Moses, the mediator, needs help. Really, the title should set your mind upon the track and the trajectory that this text is taking us to. The passage teaches us many valuable practical lessons. It teaches about humility. It teaches us about leadership. It teaches us about the government of the people and indeed of church government. But more so than that... It teaches us the inherent limitations of all human authority and governance. The inherent limitations of all human authority and governance. And because it teaches us that, it teaches us to look beyond Exodus 18. Exodus 18 is the mediator of the old covenant, Moses, needing help. There is another mediator, the mediator of the new covenant, Jesus Christ, who needs no help whatsoever and finished his work on his own. You see, it's in Christ Jesus that we find perfect rule. It's in Christ Jesus we find perfect righteousness, perfect revelation. He brings us perfectly into the presence of God. And therefore, it's him we must ultimately trust. The first thing I want us to examine this evening, broadly speaking, and I freely admit I'm flying over this text at about 20,000 feet, I want us to look at lessons concerning Jethro and Moses. Four lessons concerning Jethro and Moses. 
then we'll take those four lessons and apply them directly to our Lord Jesus Christ. Lessons concerning our Lord Jesus. So from this passage, Jethro and Moses, which will ultimately point us to the person and work of our Lord Jesus. Firstly, though, lessons concerning Jethro and Moses. We're introduced to Jethro in chapter 18, verse 1. We've seen him several times before in Exodus. We're told here he's Moses' father-in-law and that he is the priest of Midian. That means he's not a covenant member. He's related to a member of the covenant, Moses, by marriage. He's his father-in-law, but he's not a covenant member. What else do we know about him? Verse 1, we know that he learns of Uh, Israel's salvation from Egypt by Yahweh. Uh, We know that during the time that Moses went back down to Egypt to free them, Moses left his wife, Zipporah, and his two sons uh, in the care of Jethro. Verse 9, we read that he rejoices in the Lord. Verse 10, he praises the Lord. Verse 11, he confesses the Lord. And verse 12, he offers sacrifice to the Lord and eats an apparently a sacrificial meal with Moses, Aaron, and the elders. What do we conclude about this Jethro? He's an interesting character, isn't he? Remember, he's not a member of the covenant, not by birth. He's a Midianite. He's outside of the covenant by birth. And what's interesting is that we see in Jethro a completely different response to the covenant people and the covenant God as we saw in the previous chapter with the Amalekites and as we saw in the previous 17 chapters with the Egyptians. Here is one who blesses God, who seems to embrace the covenant Lord, not like the Amalekites where God said, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Here is a Midianite, not formally of the covenant people, and a priest at that, a pagan priest, who here in our text appears to acknowledge and confess and worship the covenant God. Here we find him blessing the covenant people, blessing the covenant God. And that blessing is found upon the lips of a heathen. It's interesting that, isn't it? Though he's a heathen, it seems that he has some sort of faith in Almighty God. We might even say he has saving faith in Almighty God. It's hard to say, but it's certainly something approaching that, is it not? How could this heathen have come to a saving knowledge of God Almighty, and this is where it's directly applicable to us. Remember Genesis 12, God promised to Abraham that one of his line through the seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Remember then what God said in Exodus chapter 9, in the Exodus event, he said, my name will be proclaimed through all the earth. If you turn the page to chapter 19 of Exodus, you're going to find that Israel is set apart. Listen to this. You will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. Not just a kingdom of priests for themselves, that they might worship God, though that is certainly in view, but that through their relationship and worship of God, the nations round about them might also come to the knowledge of the Lord. Who has been Jethro's exposure to the Lord? It's Moses. Moses. Think on this. His circle of covenant experience is Moses. He married his daughter. He spent 40 years tending his sheep, watching Moses, watching his care of his family, watching his witness to him. Think on the names that Moses gave his children. Gershom, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And Eliezer, the God of my father, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Even in the names of his grandchildren, there was testimony to Jethro of the saving goodness of Almighty God. He's seen Moses trust God through his time as a shepherd. He's seen Moses trust God in going down into Egypt. He has seen God bring Moses back out of Egypt victorious. And he's come, it seems, to know the covenant God. That's wonderful news, isn't it? That somebody formerly outside of the covenant of grace has come to hear of the goodness of the God of the covenant of grace. And here we find him praising and blessing the name of God. Friends, it's an encouragement to us, I believe, that we also always ought to have an eye to our witness. Sometimes we're given the opportunity to speak to unbelievers But most of the time, we're given the opportunity to live before unbelievers. We're called undoubtedly, as Moses did before Jethro, to live faithful lives. And we might be surprised at what the Lord does with that. Yes, Jethro, though an outsider, appears to have become a child of God through faith. The second thing I want to notice from this text is about Moses. We've seen Jethro, now we see Moses, his service, the nature of it. And I want to be very brief with this. Think about this. Moses went down to Egypt with Aaron. In Egypt, there were elders amongst the people. We know that. Now Moses, with the people, with Aaron and the elders, returns. And Jethro here reunites him with his Family. He has his wife and his children. And while we know that Moses alone is the mediator of the old covenant, we know he had these people around him. By the end of the chapter, we're going to find hundreds, maybe thousands more, appointed to positions of authority and judgment, those declaring the law of God and making judgments. In other words, Moses, even as the sole mediator of the Old Covenant, had a massive support structure of authority round about him. He was not alone. He had a family. He had elders. He had Aaron. Uh, We'll find as we work our way through Exodus and, and, and the rest of the Pentateuch, there's priests and then there's judges. 
we understand that, that Moses here, though the only mediator of the Old Covenant, did have authority around him and about him in the governance of the people of God. And the governance of the people of God is not committed just to one person, but to many, a plurality of men. That's something to note about Moses' service. He was not alone when he did it, in spite of his special role. The third thing to note is that Moses' role or his function as mediator is manifested in different ways. What do we mean by the mediator of the Old Covenant? Well, you turn the page, uh, Exodus 19, Exodus 20, you'll see it clearly. Uh, God is up here on the top of the mountain. Moses ascends the mountain. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to the people. The covenant is thereby made. That's what a mediator does. He goes between two people. God made his covenant with the people through Moses. And God operated towards the people through Moses so that Moses represented God to the people and, on the other hand, the people to God. And yet, In that office, that role of mediator, which is what we confessed earlier from the Heidelberg, we see three distinct offices that Moses fulfills. You know what they are already. We've touched on them many times through Exodus. We see it right throughout this passage also. We see Moses acting in in Exodus as the prophet, the priest, and the king prophet priest and king what does a prophet do he carries god's word to the people that's what he's explicitly doing in verse 13 onwards god is speaking through moses to the people and moses spoke the word of god to hebrew and pagan alike think of pharaoh moses is also a priest a priest he intercedes between God and man. He represents the people to almighty God. He intercedes for them. And of course, he's the king of sorts, at least. He's the ruler of the people. He's the focal point of the governance. He is the one who led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. It's important we understand this. His mediatorial work consists at least in these three offices of prophet, priest, and king. He's delivered them by God's power. He has delivered them out of Egypt and now begins the work of constituting them as a nation in the old covenant. He is God's focal point. There's no doubt about that. He is God's focal point through this entire period of history it's very important we understand that his mediatorial work is found in these three offices now take everything we've said there and think of the fourth matter i want us to consider this evening the matter that's really at the heart of the passage verse 13 notwithstanding the special setting apart of moses as the mediator of the Old Covenant, notwithstanding his threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, 
we can very clearly say this. Moses needed help. Moses needed help. And we see that beginning there in verse 13. He sits down to judge the people. We can almost picture it, can't we? It says the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. They're looking for him to settle their disputes, for for God to speak through him in the matters that are before them. Think on this. We've said there's probably several million people in the nation of Israel at this time. Now, they're not all before Moses at one point, but there's going to be a lot of matters that need to be worked out. We can see the pressure upon Moses. It's not Moses who comes up with a resolution. It's Jethro, verse 14. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? He sees there's a, a, a problem, a practical problem. So Moses tells him, verse 15, uh, The people come to me to inquire of God. When they have dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Now, there you can see a kingly function and a prophetic function. Okay, very clearly, very clearly seen. But this is not really sufficient in Jethro's eyes. Jethro sees the problem. And he speaks of it in verse 17. What you are doing is not good. You and the people... with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. You're not able to do it alone. So he tells him, verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs, of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties and tens, and let them judge the people at all times. He's giving to them the same kind of power that has been given to him, authority to speak God's word to them, prophetic nature, and to make judgments over them, a kingly power. He tells him what he is to do to resolve the problem of being overburdened by work. And the point is this, appoint others to help you. Appoint others to help you. That is to say, the voice of God and the law of God was to be brought to the people of God, not just by Moses, but by these men appointed as chiefs, appointed to judge the people. Let them judge the people at all times, says Jethro. That's to say, friends, in addition to the prophet, priest, and king mediator that was Moses, other offices are put into place. We've already got the elders of the people. Uh, We have, as it were, almost junior elders being appointed for this work. Those who will be in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens to exercise Moses' work, to exercise Moses' authority. Concluding direction from Jethro, verse 23, is this. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also 
go to their place in peace. Now Jethro, let's return to him for a moment. He's an interesting character, isn't he? Pagan priest, Moses' father-in-law, who feels free to instruct Moses on the governance of the people of God in such a manner that Moses listens to him and obeys him. He's an interesting character. I was speaking to Pastor Rockin about uh, Jethro in the week. I said, what do you make of Jethro? And without missing a beat, he said, well, he's the father of Presbyterianism, isn't he? Well, I had the same reaction as you did, of course. But it's very interesting, isn't it? Here we have a pagan priest giving the mediator of the old covenant counsel about how the people of God should be governed. That should be pretty staggering to us. Yes, he comes with the authority of a father-in-law, but that's hardly the authority to command the mediator how the people should be governed. Ultimately, Moses recognizes the counsel of his father-in-law is the counsel of God. That God is speaking through Jethro. That the counsel of God has been mediated not just through Moses, but through Jethro. Notice this idea does not come from Moses. It comes from the most unlikely source, a pagan priest. Perhaps Moses is under too much pressure judging the people to have the foresight to put this plan into place. Whatever the reason, it's not Moses that put this plan into place. It's Jethro's counsel. And here we're seeing the natural limitations of mere men. The natural limitations of mere men, the best of men are men at best and yet as we see the limitations of Moses he did not come up with the idea we see the humility of Moses it could have been quite easy for Moses to pull rank at this point and say I'm, I'm the mediator of the old covenant I led them out of Egypt but he listens he hears the counsel and wisdom of another. And Moses models godly submission here. He hears wise counsel, he accepts it, and acts on it. And this is true in any authority structure that it's worth his salt, in the home, the church, wherever. There can't simply just be one voice all the time, because that one voice is not going to be right all the time. That's why husbands are given wives, and wives husbands. Let's remember what Proverbs 11, verse 14 says. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. There is safety in an abundance of godly counselors. And we would do well to follow Moses' example of humility and submission when we have those about us who love us and care for us come to us and instruct us we should hear them well it's interesting that the council here about authority being held amongst many 
is by and large the same authority structures we see in the home, mother and father. It's the same authority structure that we see throughout the old covenant. It's the same authority structure by and large we see in the new covenant. That it's not just a one-man show. It's a plurality of elders, of governors. That's to say, friends, we would be wrong to relegate Jethro's wisdom to simply conventional wisdom or common grace wisdom. Now, I think what we see here in Jethro's counsel to Moses is divinely provided and illumined ecclesiastical wisdom for the good of the people of God. We've got the elders present. We've got these lesser governors, whatever they are, a judiciary one, one um, uh, commentator calls them. But we have this pattern of authority spread out throughout the people, held by various men appointed to that rule. That's our fourth point that I want us to see about Moses. That great as he was, he's not alone in this work. We've seen then in the lessons of Jethro and Moses, we've seen redemption go outside the natural boundaries of the covenant people. We've seen a mediator, a man, Moses, supported by others around him, family, elders, Aaron, her, judges, and so on and so forth. We've seen Moses as the mediator functioning as prophet, priest, and king. And importantly, we've seen the creation now of a governing body, a judiciary of sorts, to help Moses in the governance of the people of God. All very practical, perhaps even a little bit dry, we might say, but we need practical wisdom, don't we? We need that practical wisdom to guard against the folly of the human heart, especially the selfishness of those who would grasp for leadership and authority and hold it on their own in an unaccountable fashion. But that's not all we're meant to learn here about this text, the practical elements of it. We've also see we're also to see that Moses, as the mediator of the old covenant, stands in continuity, but also great contrast to the mediator of the new covenant. That these principles can be seen once again more briefly in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, from one mediator to another mediator. Lessons concerning Jesus Christ. Think first of all about the spread of gospel light from Moses to Jethro, perhaps to others also. Moses certainly appears to be the conduit through which Jethro saw the light. Again, it's an essential element of the existence of Israel and an essential element of the covenant God made with Abraham. In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And the blessedness of Christ here is this. Throughout the old covenant, we get echoes of that reality, echo fulfillments, if you will, throughout time. Think Jethro the Midianite, who appears to come to faith. Think of Rahab, the Canaanite. Think of Ruth, the Moabite. 
and Uriah, even after he had united himself to Israel, is still called Uriah the Hittite. That's exciting. The nations coming into Israel, the church of God of its day, to worship God just as Jethro did. This is the point. The nations are brought into covenant. Into the covenant, people. Not by birth initially, but by faith and conversion. Jethro brought in, not by Moses, though God almost undoubtedly used him, Jethro brought in, if he is of saving faith, by faith in Christ, a pagan who saw the light, the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jethro is an example of that. So are any here not born into the covenant? Those of you who are converted in, uh, you are another example of that very same thing. And thanks be to God that from then on God has continued his covenant purposes through you to your children and your children's children. We who are not natively covenant people have become such by the mercy of God through faith. Jethro needed a savior. Moses needed a savior, friends. And Jesus Christ is that great and generous Savior. If there are any here tonight who do not know him, this is the night. The night to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Put your trust in Jesus Christ. There's no other hope for salvation. It doesn't matter what your past looks like doesn't matter what you've done. The vilest offender that truly believes that moment through Jesus a pardon receives. In the seed of Abraham, all nations were to be blessed. The second thing we saw with Moses was that he had support. He had his family. He had church officers, so to speak, around him and yet we look at our lord jesus christ and we see the character of his ministry was really very different to the character of moses ministry for much of his ministry it appears that jesus family was not a support to him he had no wife or children by the end of his ministry his disciples had deserted him He said, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And chiefly, we see his aloneness, or might we even say his loneliness at the cross. Yes, he's there with two thieves, but they're paying for their crimes, not making atonement for others. Yes, there were blessed women at his feet, but none were there by his side.
None were there to hold his hands up. None would accompany him to the cross, even though Peter said he would. He's alone. That was the pattern of his ministry. And yet, friends, in this pattern of ministry is great payoff for us as Christians. Through Christ's aloneness, the Christian need never feel alone. Through his loneliness, we need never feel alone. Because his aloneness is an essential part of his ministry. He stood in the breach, didn't he? All alone. So that we can now sing in Christ alone. My hope is found. Friend, he shouldered the burden alone. So that now he can sympathize with you in your deepest distress. The aloneness of Christ was necessary for his work and enables him now to know the trials, your trials and your troubles of this life. The third thing we saw about Moses was his office of mediator, of prophet, of priest, and of king. We know very well, of course, Christ fulfills all those roles perfectly. We read in 1 Timothy 2, chapter 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Think on that, friends. To be friends with God, the family of God, as we heard this morning, children of the living God, children of light, there is nothing else you need than a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing else. And that faith in Christ will provide you with everything else you need. No other prophet reveals the Father to you like the Son does. No other priest can actually bring you to the Father like our Savior. And there's no other king who rules you so equitably and lovingly and in such a kind and gentle fashion, defending you and keeping you even against yourself. There's just no one like him. There is no prophet, priest, or king that can be elevated anywhere near the level of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we'll work our way through Exodus and at time in the Pentateuch, we'll see what Moses could not do, Jesus has done for us. Moses couldn't even enter the promised land. But Jesus has entered the promised land. And he has said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. That's the glory of our Lord.
And the final thing we saw about Moses was the support he had around him. We can say that Jesus didn't, and we must also conclude that while Moses needed help around him, not just the fact of help, Moses needed help in the completion of his work. Jesus needed no help in the completion of his work. There is no help that our Savior needed in the completion of his work of salvation. Friends, it was Jesus that lived the perfect life. It was Jesus that died alone on the cross. It was Jesus who was raised from the dead. It was Jesus who ascended into heaven. It is Jesus who is who has said to us, I have gone to prepare a place for you. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. No other sacrifice necessary. No other mediation necessary. No prayers of saints. No prayers of the Virgin Mary. None of your works. Nothing. Not only was Christ alone, he needed no outside help. Friends, he's the only one in the entirety of Scripture and in the history of mankind who it can be said he needed no help. I want to ask you, dear friends, is Jesus your sole point of trust? I don't mean in absence of Father and Spirit. Of course we trust in our triune God. But do you trust in Jesus Christ? And I don't just mean for salvation. All the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. When you trust the promises of God, when you trust the word of God, you're trusting Christ. Because he's fulfilled them all. They are, as it were, in the palm of his hands. He has done the work. He offered up the sacrifice. He has ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Christ of all my hope the ground. Christ the spring of all my joy. That's what we sing, isn't it? The focal point, the centerpiece of the goodness of God to us. In Ephesians chapter 4 taking us back, as it were, to the theme of our text before us. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us what Christ and no other left to his church when he ascended on high. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, 
the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Jesus left us with officers. When he ascended on high, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. That's Christ's gift to the church. Look, we're all Christ's gift to the church. Make no mistake about that. But just as we saw in the Old Testament, Exodus 18, the appointment of men to authority, Christ has left his church with these offices. As we think about voting on these men, as we think about a church plant, we ought to be seeing the goodness of the perfect Savior, the ascended Savior, the mediator of the new covenant, blessing us with new covenant blessings. Oh, we ought to see the gift of Christ Jesus to his church. And we ought to love him. And we ought to honor him, even as we submit to these men, whoever they might be, not necessarily because of the virtue in them, but because of the office that Christ has put them in. Christ has given such to his church that we might live in obedience and worshipful joy in the church to the praise and honor and glory of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you and praise you and give you thanks. You are very good to us. And Lord, we ask you that you'd be pleased to bless your word to our hearts that we might look to the Savior at all times for all good and sustenance that we need. We pray that you would be pleased, Lord God, to strengthen our faith and our understanding this day, that we might live in greater conformity to the law, your holy law, to the praise of your glorious name. We ask this in and through Jesus. Amen.